Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. So, people, you can hang on afterwards. Thanks for the guys who made coffee. George, thank you for being, bringing donuts today. I personally thank you. The parents don't. But <laughs> kids getting sugar, I like that. But I, thanks, George. Um, so, quiz question. If you were in the morning class, raise your hands. Now be quiet to this question. You can't answer it. We are finishing Galatians today. All the rest of you, what begins next week? What book of the Bible will we be studying? Anyone? Oh, good. There's some answers. I didn't know if anybody would get it. Matthew. So, again, uh, as Justin kind of said in the beginning, it's our, it's our habit. We're gonna, it's a book of the Bible. We're going to go through that book. We believe it's the Word of God through His Holy Spirit that changes our lives. We all need it. Every time there's a guy preaching, he needs the same word as everybody sitting here. And that's why we preach it with passion. And one of the beauties of being a pastor is part of your calling is you got to study this text. And you know what happens? God works it into your life. If we're studying the word and being submitted to the word. You, can't, you just can't help it happen. God just works it in your life. And that's where change takes place. So we believe that wholeheartedly. We see it again. So we're going to do Matthew. I can't tell you how long it's going to take because whatever plan we got, God changes it. But it's going to take a while. We'll do some sections. We'll do some sections long, and that'll frustrate some of you guys. We'll do some sections short, and that'll frustrate some of you guys. Be open to what God will do. It's going to be good. So there are, oh, help me out. I, often the women's ministry parallels this. I don't, does anybody know, are they doing that this time? Yes. Thank you, Eileen. There's, so there are at the book table section, that's not the welcome table, but kind of that in-between area, in that, that big wide hallway that goes in between. There's a missions map. There's stuff set out. So we try to put good things out there inexpensively. There's a Matthew journal, which is simply the scripture with all this room to write in here. So one of the things just in terms of being a curious learner, asking God to teach us, we encourage people, read it, read it. It's okay to write notes in it. Okay, this isn't parchment that, you know, it's hard to, this is paper. We, we get it, but it helps the learning. So we provide these for you. Um, Rock, I'm going to give you this one. And if you keep it, that's cool. Or if you put it back in the book table, that's cool. I just don't want it to stay up here. Is that okay? All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to give some introduction. And then Eileen, you're going to come up and read the scripture for us, write the passage. All right. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. I don't, I don't know how you are about saying goodbyes, and this is, you could say it's an introvert-extrovert thing, I don't know, but um, sometimes people um, view good, goodbyes as just kind of a polite formality. They won't say that, but they go, yeah, it's something you do. Nothing important is being really said. Some people like goodbyes, some don't like goodbye, but you just kind of, you just kind of do it. And... Some people think that the New Testament letters are like that. Oh, he's just finishing off. I mean, there's nothing really important being said here. I mean, sometimes we get to names I can't pronounce. I don't know what's going on. So, so some of us don't raise your hand or don't point anybody. Some of us just speed read that part. We get to the end of he's not saying anything important. What I want to say to you is that's not true. And actually, I'm saying it that way because I'm probably guilty as charged much of my life. I get to the end or... Um, Moved around a bunch of my life. Goodbyes are painful. You know. But we think the letter's that way, and they aren't. And I want to suggest to you that language is important, and particularly if you think of parchment writing, however they did it, the words were precious that are written down there. And so what's written is actually written there with great intention, and we can miss it. So, I'm gonna, so in some ways, what we often see in a letter, oh, where's Marion? Mary used a great word in the class, because in the class, which I'd recommend to you at 10 o'clock if you ever do that, we're just looking at the text that's going to be preached, and we're making observations, kind of a, a group learning, and she used the word, I loved it, I said, I should put that in my sermon, which I am now. She, she used the word punchline. 
that often what's, what goes on is there actually is something significant said. Sometimes different words are used, but it's kind of like going back. And so Paul's repeating himself in a punchline kind of way. So when Eileen reads the text for us out loud, we'll just see if we can pick it up. But why in the world would, would Paul repeat himself? I mean, some of the stuff he said a couple of times. Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, so I'll use a different example. Um, Oh, this is autobiographical because this would be embarrassing. This is dad on vacation. So we just went on this vacation. We got this trip we're going around. And uh, every day we're doing something different. And we had a kind of interesting, diverse group. I had um, some of my kids. I had a spouse. I had a couple grandkids. I mean, a newborn and a 15-year-old. It was a very diverse group. So I kind of got this... We've done all the research for where we're going. It's in Iceland. We're traveling like, so, okay. So here's what we could do tomorrow. And I let them make the, so I, I present the stuff. I let them make the, say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Now, once we decide we're going to do something, so I let that be a collective decision. Now, dad was reminding them of some things that needed. Okay, that means you need to have your raincoat. You need to have your lunch packed. Everybody's responsible to do their own lunch. We had all the stuff there. Um, we need to leave it this time. If we're going to catch the ferry to what? It's like, just go through all these details. I cannot tell, every day, I cannot tell you how many times someone, and it was a different someone, and I won't give any indication to, they said they didn't have what was asked, or they weren't doing what was asked. And so they go, oh, I never heard that. Oh, I don't remember you saying that. Or I forgot that. That was early on. So you know what I'm doing? I'm repeating myself to the point of being annoying. So my wonderful granddaughter, the 15-year-old, oh, I gave it away somebody, didn't I? Oh, she's on the youth trip, so she can't hear me. She, she's like, yeah, I know, Grandpa. You know, well, you forgot that yesterday. But I found myself repeating myself. So, you know, so, because you know what? I wanted it to be that annoying. I wanted to be embedded in that mind so that she, so that we, so all of it, we wouldn't forget. It was actually good for me to repeat it. So I wouldn't forget it so I'd actually know it. Now, I've said this a number of times. It's true. I hate to say this, but it's true. I am a good forgetter of the gospel. I just am. I come to Monday or Tuesday, and this challenge comes up to me, and I feel like this challenge is bigger than life. I, my, my heart or my actions act as if God's not in control or he doesn't love me, or I'm acting like a practical atheist. I just, I don't know what you're like, but we can so much and that's why we need to be reminded in fact i think it's one reason why the regular rhythm of gathering together as god's people on a sunday or in a bible study it's a regular rhythm it's meant to be regular because we are all good forgetters and it's not what i know up here and it's not what i know up here on sunday at 11 o'clock it's what comes out of my life when the challenge comes on monday or comes on tuesday or the middle of the night when i wake up so paul's repeating some things that are very important. You might go, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, there's a reason why I've heard it. Because it's important. Now, essentially what this is, so I kind of got, I, I'm going to change the title a little bit. But it's essentially Paul's given one final exhortation. So I call it the freedom of walking in grace. That, that's accurate. But it's particularly the freedom of walking in the gospel of grace. So it's not grace disconnected from that. But the gospel it is God's grace to us. Understand, so again, gospel is shorthand for all that's said and what Jesus has, has done for us. Okay, with that, Eileen, would you come? So Eileen's going to read this out loud, and I think we're starting to do this. Would you stand with me? So we're going to stand in honor of God's word, um, in a sense, separating what is read. We want to hear it with not, not only our ears, but God, would you have, have us hear it with our hearts? And this is Galatians 6, 11 through 13. This print's really small, so if I miss a word. Do you want mine? No, I'm fine. Okay. See with what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand. For it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your faith. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me 
an eye to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which we've heard read. We pray now that it would find great room in our hearts. You know each person here. You know who's just passing through on vacation. You know who's been here for a long time. You know who's listening on the internet. You know all of us. You know everything that's going on. You know the things we thought about, the things we're afraid of. You know what's going to happen next week. And you've intended this word for us today, Lord. So we pray that you'll help us to receive it. You'd open our hearts to receive it. That is, what good do you want to do in us? What change? What conviction? Lord, would you speak today and would you give us ears to hear? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, so I'm going to ask you this again. If you have your Bibles, good to keep them open. Uh, if you don't and you want to take one of the ones like that Eileen read out of and take notes in it, that's totally good and take it with you if you want, okay? Oh, who edited that? <laughs> Did you just do that on your own? That's good. Thank you, Aiden. You were fired as a summer intern. That's awesome. <laughs> what is the punchline? Did I write that in here? It's kind of, a, that's a question. That's good. What's the punchline? He's final words. I'm going to get to that one. Uh, let's, hey, let's just look through and um, this is the punchline. I like that. Uh, the, what's the message throughout this letter? And basically we've been, so we'll use a term, sometimes a melodic line. Paul's been appealing to them throughout. He says, Re, return to the gospel of grace so that you can walk in the freedom of the spirit or with the spirit. Because there's this, this group that's been trying to pull them away, the circumcision party, which is essentially, it is a, what is common to us, it is a performance-based religion. Now, he, he speaks very specifically about this group in this particular text. And we've seen throughout this letter that Paul's tone, it's very fatherly, but it's fatherly in an urgent way. So as you may know this, there's, there's often letters where Paul writes a thanks about them, or he commends certain things. It's interesting, when you think of the different churches, most people think of the Corinthian church as one of the most messed up churches around, and most pastors are very thankful they didn't pastor that church. But even in the Corinthian church, he's giving thanks for them always. There's no thanks in this letter. So scholars, why is there no thanks? I would just say this. Paul, Paul it's not that he's not thankful for anything for him, but the, urgence, the fatherly urgency here, he sees they're in great peril. And so that's the tone all the way through. And, and it, it still concludes in this kind of a way. So just a couple observations um, along the way. Uh, he talks about these large letters that I'm writing with my own hand. And so we talked about that in the class. Why is that on uh, the large letters? Some think uh, it's because at this point, Paul has been dictating and he has someone else writing this. Uh, I don't remember who made the observation, but it's, a, it's another good one who said that... Uh, Lance or Marion, maybe, the large letters could be actually um, old school way of what we say now, hey, man, when you type in caps, when you text me in caps, it's like you're shouting at me. You're familiar with that? It could be Paul's way. This is really important. Maybe he's writing this, this part in large letters. Either way, what he's, he's saying here is important. Um, just another one of the personal things. We see this right in the end of it. He, he, this brother's got scars from beatings. He says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. This guy, what he's writing to them, he's writing for their benefit, not his. And that's in direct contrast to these false teachers. He's, he's the real deal. He has scars in his body for preaching the cross of Christ. And you remember what he used to be. This is not our experience that I know of of anybody in this room or most in America. It is the common experience of brothers and sisters around the world, historically and currently. And so when we read that, in terms of the fellowship that we have as a church, 
We should be mindful of that, not only in Paul, but for brothers and sisters that we're joined to. So, in, and I've said this to you in different times. You guys have released me to go and do this work in Central Asia and amongst the persecuted. There's brothers that have scars in their face as, as converted Muslims, you know, family members that come and try to kill them. They've done that. And I wonder this. Would I? Would you? To what degree would I stay with Christ? And it's interesting, in our culture, you know what we worry about? What people will think of us. What they will say. Our reputation. Will they like me? Such small things, aren't they? Paul's standing on the gospel because he knows the truth of Christ. He'll give his life for it. And when I read such things, when I think of those around the world, I want that to go into my soul. I don't know what the future holds for us. I don't think it'd be anything like this, but God knows. But why do smaller things bother me? And they do. I want my commitment to him to be like this. I don't want to gloss over what Paul's saying here. He knows the kind of commitment to suffering and the church is called to it, even though in those, those ways it has not been our experience. I think we should read those words and ask and wonder, Lord, would I? Would I? And let the Holy Spirit do such deep work in us as we pray for those we're joined to in fellowship in Nepal, Marion goes and has gone many times, or Central Asia, let it be. So, what is the message in these final words? The, the punchline is Aiden wrote it up here. I think we get two things going on. One is, again, he's given this, these very specific reminders of the dangers of this false gospel, and, but then he describes the freedom of walking in the gospel of grace. And that's what I want to take the most of the time with. He does that with specific language, and I want us to think about it. But in these early verses, here's a summary of what he's saying. Okay, the circumcision party, they do not truly have your best interests in mind. They are trying to bring you back into Judaism for their own benefit, not yours. They're doing it so they can escape any potential persecution themselves. So he's, he's calling them out. Now, in some letters, he names people by name, probably because they were part of the church and left. This, he, it's just his party. And he just, but he's pointing out, they do not have your best spiritual interests in mind. And we noted in the Sunday school class, I just say this, you know, marrying God saved her out of a cult. Um, but it is true of false teachers all the time. They just want people to come and follow them. That's what they got going on, whether they want your money or whatever they want. They have their interest in mind, though it's hard to, dis to discern that. Not your own interest. And when you see someone like a Paul who's willing to suffer for Christ, I mean, he's got this fatherly concern for them. He's going to bring the truth. He's going to bring it strong. He's going to bring it with grace. But he, he's calling that out in, in contrast. I think the key verses are verses 14 and 15. Um, so let's do this. I'm going to, so we'll get to 14 and 15 in a moment. But there's a word that we didn't look at long in Sunday school, but a little bit, that he uses along here, which is a, is a key and helps us see what he's getting at, and that's the word boast. So what I want to do is notice how he uses the word boast in this chapter. So I'm going to read, there's three places, verse 4, verses 13, verse 14. I'm going to go back and read that verse, and we're going to look at how he uses it. And that's going to lead us really to, I think, what is his main point here? So, verse 4. Okay. Oh, this is good. So, the context. You heard this preach a couple of weeks ago. What he's talking about here is to the church. And this is in the midst of this exhortation. He's actually, he's actually speaking here about, this is how the Spirit of God works in us. As he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The way that we are meant to relate to one another. says, you who are spiritual, if someone is caught in a sin, you restore him gently. When he says, you who are spiritually sinned, the spirit of God's in you. It's in God's people. It's not the super spiritual person. You who are spiritual. You, you who have the spirit of God in you, help another brother or sister if they're caught in a sin. And do that with a particular attitude or spirit, in a spirit of gentleness. Fruit of the spirit, gentleness. That's how we bring correction. Not better than, not looking down upon, coming alongside. 
And he's talking about then watching our own selves. Man, pride is such a sneaky thing. And there's not a person in this room, myself included, that is immune from it. It is different manifestations that can show up in your prayer. It can show up in your attitude. You see it in your attitudes. So here's in that exhortation, that's what he said, in this, this exhortation, in that kind of ministry one to another, watch out for pride. He says, but let each person test his own work, look at your own life, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. You're, in other words, what is, it, what is that particular thing that you're counting on? What are you counting on? What are you depending on? And so he's talking about grace a bunch. Okay. Verse 13. I think he uses that and, and brings it over, that, that kind of concept to verse 13 as he talks about them. Even those who are circumcised, this is the circumcision party, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So he talked a lot about this in the class. I think it's verse 12 where he says, they're trying to escape persecution. They don't care about you. They're getting notches on the belt. I got this proselyte, this proselyte, this proselyte. They're trying to win people over so that they can escape persecution. He goes, and they don't even try to keep the law that they're trying to put you under. He's describing that hypocritical nature, but it is again this, that they're boasting in your flesh. In other words, they're boasting in what they've accomplished counting on their works to bring you in. Now, notice the contrast in these words. It's their accomplishments they're boasting, and they got you to convert. Now, look at verse uh, 14. What's Paul boasting in? But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the, Lord has been cru- by which the world has been crucified to me, and I, the world. We're going to talk about that one. Paul's not boasting in what he's done. What's he boasted in? He's boasting what Jesus has done. And that's throughout this letter. And I want to say to you, returning to what Jesus has done is the kind of reflection we need to have in all, all our life. So often we're thinking of our failures. Can I say to you, that's why Jesus came. He knows your weakness. He knows your sin. He knows every temptation. He's experienced them. That all the ones that you have, he knows them, and that's why he came. So the gospel of grace is a huge contrast to this, what I'm calling a performance-based religion. That's what the circumcision was part of. It's common in our culture, okay? So the word boast, if we just trace that word and how he uses it, it helps us see, I think, the main point. So... Here's what I'm going to take the mo- I want to take the most time with. What does it mean when Paul says, I boast only in the cross of Christ? This is what I want to spend time thinking about. Okay? So once again, I'm doing this differently than I have in other sermons, I think. I'm going to, I'm going to give a whole bunch of things here. And if you're taking notes and you go like, man, that went too fast and I missed it, just email the office and they'll send you, send you notes. I don't want that to be a distraction. Key verse. Uh, verses 14 and 15. This is what we're going to unpack here. So I underlined three words here that I think are significant in this, and they're probably significant themes, and I just want to kind of unpack them. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has become crucified to me, and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision counts but a new creation. So friends, I think this is what he's saying here. Again, this is, dad's repeating himself. He wants us to make sure we get it, but this is a core understanding to what it actually means to to be free to walk in the gospel of grace. So I think there's a a great difference, if I might draw this contrast, to, um, I'll say this way, you hear this phrase, praying to receive Jesus, accepting Jesus. I ask Jesus in my heart, there's a big difference between understanding the gospel is simply that versus receiving what Christ is believing, repenting, believing, and, and walking in the gospel of grace. This is an ongoing work 
of God all the time. It's a growing, being overwhelmed in what he's accomplished and the grace given to us. It comes from a growing understanding of ourselves, what we were, what we are. It comes from a growing understanding of who God is, and that should be growing and developing in our life, which is way different than viewing Christianity as, I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart, I'm in. My ticket to heaven. Like, that's it. Those are almost polar opposites. If that really bothers you, let's talk about it. Okay? Because it's worth being bothered about. What I want to do is unpack, because I think there's three significant themes here. And so the way I've done is I've phrased it with questions. My first question is going to be, what does it mean to boast in the cross of Christ? Second question is, what does it mean to have the world crucified to me and I to the world? I didn't put them up in this order, Aiden, so it doesn't matter. Third question is, what does Paul mean when he says the only thing that matters is a new creation? Circumcision means nothing. We're going to walk through those three questions. It's what I want to take the most time with. All right. What does it mean to boast in the cross of Christ? You could summarize it. It means a lot of things, by the way. <laughs> All these mean a lot of things. So I'm going to put a couple up here, and I don't think I'm going to be exhaustive. Um, but I think essentially it's this. I'm going to boast about what Christ has done, not what I've done. That's where it starts. In other words, he he's, he's unpacks this all the time. He goes, Christ has done all the work. See, we end up thinking, I've got to do the work. i got to do the work to get in. i got to do this to be accepted by God. Christ has done all the work. You know what our work is? Believe and follow him. Believe and follow He can be trusted. That's our work. Now we get to new creation, you, you see all this turn right around because he's doing that work in us all the time. Boasting what Christ has done. Not what I've done. Some of us, we, we, we struggle with things we, we, in terms of significance. What people like is one thing we've done enough. So we, we talk a lot about what we did. Boasting what Christ has done. Or if, if you go like, man, I, I struggle with that. Just go in your thinking and your journaling with the Lord about what Christ has done in your life. Keep talking about that. What Christ has done. What Christ has done. Not what you've done. That's, that's bottom line. Secondly, what's, what's it mean to boast in the cross of Christ? I'm not ashamed of the humility of Christ. His sacrifice demonstrates pure love. Um, in certain circles, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm traveling in Muslim countries, the cross of, is offensive to them for many ways. One of the reasons, and I think this a little bit probably in Judaism too, but to think that God Almighty condescends to human flesh, that, they, they see that as despicable on God to that, or that he'd be humiliated in such a way, becomes offensive to them because God's powerful. Uh, so such a person becomes power. Rightness brings power at, in that viewpoint, okay? Think of what Christianity is. So I love, it's holy, holy, holy. He is almighty and all merciful. Where do you see that in any other religion? All religions are not the same. They're not all the same paths. They are not. Almighty and all merciful. That God would condescend in such a way should, should bring wonder to us continually and bring worship to us. And we are not ashamed of the humility of Christ because his sacrifice, oh, we uh, read it today. He, uh, Romans 5, 8, 9, and 10. It demonstrates pure love. Thirdly, I'm not ashamed to identify myself with Christ. To say, I believe. I believe. Now, the, the word, there it is, I believe. I, I, tell him. So I, you know, I, I, like, I like the term being a Christ follower. The term Christian means so many things to so many people. It's not a bad term, but that, that's how I'm following. People get messed up in different things. But following indicates belief. It indicates obedience. It indicates trust. I'm not ashamed to identify myself with Christ. Do you? Where we are, neighbor, workplace, 
I'm not ashamed to identify myself with Christ. Fourthly, I'm not ashamed to admit I am weak. And we, there was reading the Roman, in Romans 5. I'm weak. I'm a sinner. And I need a powerful Savior. You know, people go, like, Christianity's just a crutch. Yep. <laughs> yep, it's the crutch you need. <laughs> You're weaker than you think. And so Americans, that's really troublesome for America, but all people. We're going to raise ourselves up with some kind of power and be self-sufficient. I'm like, you know who likes that? The evil one likes that. Think we can be self-sufficient? We're created. We're dust. You can be an atheist. An absolute, someone I dearly love. End of life. You know what it is? You know what end of life is? You become expensive fertilizer, and that's about it. There's a lot of tyranny one lives with. Later on, they don't even know the demons they live with when they miss the creator, the love of God, and all that's there. And it, it, it's our own pride that wants to identify, I don't need a savior. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need religion. I don't need... To say that I'm, I, I boast only the cross of Christ, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good, I'm admitting. I'm weak. I need a powerful savior, and that's exactly who he is. He's more powerful than any of us know. But that, that's what I need. And it's okay to use sinner language. It's not popular in the world. It's not popular in church much anymore. I'm flawed. I need Jesus' change. I need someone who knows everything about me and still loves me. That's what he is. I need someone who brings forgiveness that is incredible. I, I, I have no concept of how offensive I've been to God. The scripture will tell me that, but I, don't got no con- I think I'm better than I am. But scripture tells me otherwise. And when I get that, friends... The only way you can forgive someone else is to get that, how much you've been forgiven. And you will not get how much you've forgiven unless, it's, unless you're informed by the word because we all think we're better than we are. So to boast in the cross of Christ is essentially to receive what God says about me. I'm in such need. I was helpless. The Romans 5. Weak, powerless, sinner, God's enemy. Use all that language. That's what I was. And that's who he chooses to adopt as his children. What a beautiful thing. How do I get to be a child of God out of that? It's not because I was better than anybody else. See, when you can boast on the cross of Christ, you can bring the gospel freely to someone because you are not better than them. I might might be worse than you. Not better than you. People think people in church, I'm not looking down on you. We need a Savior like this. We all do, whether we're going to admit it or not. And the only way you'll admit it is if the Holy Spirit opens you up to it. So that's why when I'm talking with people, if I'm talking to someone with another worldview, it doesn't bother me. Not at all. I don't have to argue with them. I just want to share with them in love. That's all. Because I know the only way change comes, it's from the Lord doing it. So I pray, Lord, help me to speak graciously and clear and to do it in love. And you do the changing. And it doesn't have to happen in the conversation. I don't have to know. But you do it. But if I'm boasting... In the cross of Christ, that's how I'm sharing it too. I don't have to hold it back. Lastly here, <clears throat> what's it mean to boast in the cross of Christ? I'm, I'm amazed at the love of Christ. I'm amazed at it, seen most visibly at the cross, and I love to tell others about it. I'm just, how can this be? And so often, you know, I'll say this in preaching, I do it very important, like purposefully, because everybody, you know, said, all religions are the same, if you, if you read the Bible semi-closely, not even that, it just isn't. There's nothing like the gospel. There's nothing like our Jesus. There's no one like him. There's no one. Amen? All right. What does it mean to have the world crucified to me? This might be harder. And am I crucified to the world? Hey, you corrected my writing, didn't you? I, there's a typo. Thank you. I wrote, I am. You corrected. Did you catch that on your own? Okay. I, we have a lot smarter people around here than me. I like that. What does it mean to have the world crucified to me? So we were talking about this in, um, in, the, in the class at 10. And we're noticing the language that's the same, the language that's different. So later on, when he says new creation, that's the third question. He's never, he's never said that. But he's talked about crucifixion before, right? And Marion came up with it. I said, hey, have you ever heard this before? And you came up with 220. I was so pumped that you said that. I, so 
Galatians 2.20, I'm going to repeat it to you, but I would say this. If you want to get the book of Galatians in one verse, I'd say it's Galatians 2.20, where he's speaking of the same concept. And so I remember when I was at State University, and I went there because I wanted to be challenged for my faith, but I remember walking across campus. I, had this, I don't know why I took an 8 o'clock math class. There was a 30-minute walk. That was stupid. Um, but so I'm like walking across campus, but I, that's why I started memorizing Scripture um, a lot. And not just memorizing it, but thinking about it. So I think 30 minutes walk. This is like dinosaur. I mean, there's no headphones and all that stuff. I'm just doing scripture. But I thought about it. So this verse got embedded on me a long time ago. I, I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that phrase. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen to this description. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that one. Every phrase of that one. He's reiterating that. I'm crucified to the world. That I'm boasting only in the cross of Christ, but because I've been joined to Christ, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loves me and gave himself for me. There's identity in that. He's secure in that. He knows that. So what does it mean to have the world crucified to me? Here's, here's some things. And if you're in a small group, talk about this further, okay? This is not exhaustive. One is, I don't count anything of this world as significant to my identity. I don't count anything of this world as significant to my sense of well-being, my livelihood, or my pursuits. It doesn't mean they're bad. It's just not significant to my identity. It's crucified to me. So it doesn't mean they're bad. Don't hear that. They're just not, that's not where the power is. They don't have power over me. So I should say it this way. I think these are really, so the way I think of these questions, I'm like, how much is that true or not true of me? Holy Spirit, where do you need to do some work in me? Okay, so let me, let me some of you guys haven't been here a lot, so let me just put a time out. So I preach pretty passionately, and I do that because I need what I preach. So understand that. So when I'm doing that, I'm speaking the truth in the, in the I want to speak it as compellingly as it is, but at the same time, my own reflection all week long, before a sermon, after it's like, Lord, where's that true in me? And where do, you, where do I need work? Where do you need to do work in me? And we should always be that way with Scripture, okay? What does it mean to have the word crucified to me? Thirdly, growing in the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit as he's described so thoroughly in chapter 5. That is far more important to me. Growing in the character of Christ. Far more important than a good career, enough money, my kids going to good schools, travel. It's more important than having enough friends. It's more important than my reputation. Growing in the character of Christ. Let me put a pause in that. I don't know if you can say that or not. That's what Paul's saying when he says, I've been crucified to the world. It's where we want to be. So how does character grow? I wish it was like taking vitamins. It's not. It's through difficulty. And difficulty is God's opportunity. It's a laboratory experiment. It doesn't come by just taking the magic pill, the vitamin. It comes through the challenge. So, every challenge God has given you, every one that's right now that you're facing, it's God's opportunity. The question is, where am I going to lean? Do I really want to grow to be shaped like Jesus. How does that happen? It happens through all these things in my flesh being confronted. And, and that junk inside showing up. Man, Lord, I didn't know that was in there. Didn't, I didn't know that was in here until this thing went wrong. Or to my spouse did this to me. Or my grandkid did this. I didn't, know, I didn't know that was in there. It was in there. So don't be discouraged when that shows up. You're, it's not a performance-based religion, right? It's about God changing us. So when God turns up the burner so the heat, that, that stuff comes out so you can see, so you can repent of it and say, man, I need Holy Spirit's work there. 
And when you do that and submit in that kind of way, let me tell you, the next time that, that heat comes up, you tend to know, you tend to grow. You tend, that's how it is. So what does it mean to have the world crucified to me? It's that growing in the character of Christ, in the first, that, that is far more important to me than all those other things. Far more important. Can you say that? Or to what degree can you say that? What does it mean to have the world crucified to me? Thirdly and lastly, what other people think of me, it's insignificant. It really is. Only what God thinks of me matters and knowing that I belong to him. It's all that matters. Now I'm going to say that comes again, as he's already said it earlier in this gospel, from a, there's a security in his identity. I'm a child of God. That's the adoption language. And if you know that, you can count on that. It'll take you through all kinds of things. So that's in the workplace, reputation. I mean, if you're truly like secure in that, being crucified to the world is, um, I, know he, I know he loves me. And I, I think I said this beginning of the year. I, it's probably one of my prayers for me and for the church. That's the thing that we grow in the most, our sense of being loved by him. Because I think when that's true, when it's, when it's actually genuine true for you, there's so much that changes. I'm good. And this girl, my spouse could go AWOL. I'm okay. Someone in the church could do this. Those are the ones you don't expect, you know. Outside I expect, but in, I'm okay, if I'm loved by you. Persecution of outside, reputation, okay. That, that's a, being crucified of the world. All right, last one. Uh, wow, I won't be exhaustive. What does Paul mean when he says... A new creation is all that matters. Circumcision means nothing. So I'll, I'll say it this way, that the outward function of spiritual habits and accomplishments, they are not what is significant, but what matters is, secondly, being changed by God. That's the second one up there. Yep, I, I went faster. I will do it. Uh, being changed by, that's what matters, okay? It's not that the things we do aren't important, and I'll get to that, it's being changed by, we will tend to lean on our accomplishments. When he's speaking of new creation, he's speaking of God's work, not my work. And friends, this aspect, God's done something, but it's ongoing. There is a growing fruit. There's a, there's no stagnation. Let me say this way. You don't age out of needing to do this. You don't retire in life. I've grown enough as a Christian. There's something that's an ongoing work of the Holy, when it's the Holy Spirit's work, this becoming like Christ. And I, honestly, I don't remember who wrote this. I wonder how much of that is preparing us for heaven. I wonder how much of this character change prepares. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's, it's making me more in terms of the character of Christ. There's a bunch of junk moving out, things coming in. But how much of that's preparing me to, to absolutely love what Jesus loves? and is actually part of the refining, sanctifying process to making afterlife more glorious than I can imagine. Because I do not know what heaven's going to be like, but I know this. This world is not 1% of the glory and beauty and joy that we'll have that will be seeing him face to face. And whatever that existence is like, it's going to be more amazing than words can, can, can ever express. And there is something about this life that is significant in moving us that way. Last thing. Oh, the new creation theme. I guess, yeah. I'll just say it this way. So he's, he's used his phraseology already. He, he said it in, in 419 about Christ being formed in us. I think all of chapter 15 is about the Holy Spirit uh, working us in that way. Okay, so let me, let me wrap up this way. I want to just think about this new creation part for a moment. Okay, so I'm going to do a general, then I'm going to try to do some specifics. So, new creation. The emphasis here is on God's part. That God's the one who saves, God's the one who adopts, He's the one who gives us His Holy Spirit. That is, He creates in us His desires, His likeness. If we, uh, Daniel said it, we're, we're talking about in, in the class, if we walk in step with the Spirit. That, that, so the, the four verbs there is walking in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and I forgot one. But it's all this moving with the Holy He's given us that, so he, he calls us to do that. So um, last week's message was this way. What am I sowing in? What am I investing in? Where is that? So you talk about doing good to others and so forth. So let me give you some examples. 
And I'll close that way. How's that happen? This is how grace works in our life. The new creation. So part of being a new creation, what God made us for, it's worship of him. It's just everywhere. It's not for this little hour, hour and a half we share here, Sunday. It's like all life is connected in some way. So here's what, I, what, what we want to do is grow in learning to see the Holy Spirit's work and God's activity everywhere, everything. And, and the more we look to see it, thanks will come out. And it tends to come out in um, not just the cool things he does, but the difficult things. So we're driving along, little example. Oh, I'm say, it's in everything. Here, here's my argument. God's omniscient, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows everything. So he's around all the time, right? So driving in, in, in Iceland and we get a flat tire. That's a bummer on a, on a vacation. Okay. You get a flat tire. It's going it's to take, oh, and the repair shops are closed because it's Saturday. They don't open until Monday morning. And we have to check out our Airbnb. Bummer. You got this time spent. You got the plan. You got all this stuff. So here's what happened. This is the immediate reflection of our family. This, this is actually worship. So like, I'm not saying we just, so we try, what's God doing in it? Anything happen, what's God doing in it? So you go like, stink, man. We can't, we can't go where we wanted to go. We can, you think, oh, what's God doing in it? So here's what happened. We realized God gave us a much slower day than we'd already planned. That was a beautiful day. We're around, so, so we hang out. We don't have any place we got to go. I got this little donut tire. If I, already got a, <laughs> if I already got a flat tire from a sharp rock, which are everywhere, these gravel roads, what do you think the odds are in a donut tire with seven people and an infant in the car? I'm like, I don't get one of those again. I'm staying put right here. You know, we, we're not going to go very far, in other words. So God gave us a slow day. So we're sharing scripture together, sharing what, what we're learning. What a beautiful thing to have my, my son and his wife or daughter sharing with their 15-year-old niece some things God had done and changes God had. It was just it was beautiful. We reflected on, think of all the places we've been and where this flat tire could have occurred. Because you know what occurred? So where we stayed, so you have to have four-wheel drive, so we pull up this hill like this. And I'm serious, it was like this. And it was when we got out of the car. Think of all the places along the road where that could have taken place, and it didn't. So we had this reflection on what could have happened and we took it as a gift. We saw God's interruption in what he was giving us in that. And there was thanks. Thanks always comes from believing that your father is always at work. And he's working for your good. And if you don't believe that, you can't give him thanks always. You can't. So let me, let me be straight up and honest. When I get a flat tire, my first thing is, thank you, Lord. <laughs> this is awesome. That's not my first response. I don't know what yours is. I get, most people in my family are way better that's, than I am, but that's not my first response. Don't, don't penalize yourself for your first response. It's more like your flesh. But let the Holy Spirit see, speak to you and like, maybe, maybe your response was bad. It's like, man, Lord, forgive me. All I was seeing was this. Now I see this. And give him thanks. Let me say this. And if you do, you'll do it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's the one that helped you see it. You can get that on your own. Friends, that's worship. That is a small, flat tire. But it's repentance and worship. That's what that is. That's how Christ is formed in us. All right, last one. This is really last week's sermon, so I'll just be. Um, we worship in action. So I, that uh, phrase from last week, as you have opportunity, doing good to everyone, especially in the church. That's how Christ is forming us. That's worship. It's not to gain the notches of, a, of accomplishment with God. It's beautiful to do this. And let me say where it's most beautiful to do it. We do good, he says, to the church, especially church, but to, but to all, to the undeserving. You know how we measure deserving, undeserving, or the guy you drove by, the homeless guy here, or whatever? It's really good to do it to the undeserving. Why? Because it reminds me that I'm undeserving. If, I should say, if it comes from the heart in that way, because every time we go by the undeserving, we've already, we've already been the hypocrite and measured it some way or whatever we said. We didn't say it out loud, but our hearts say it that way. But I want to repent of that. I want to move towards the undeserving and give it graciously because that's who I am and that's what God's done. And the really reflection on it more than just the action. 
Again, okay, it's God's opportunity for this to take place. The reflection on that and responding to it, that's a walking in step with the Holy Spirit. As for all who walk by this rule, this understanding, this is the law of Christ. Verse 16, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God, which I think is his expression for the true church, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is, this is our prayer that you would do such things in us. And Lord, <clears throat> that's how you'd shine through us. So when we pray for your glory, that's what we mean, Lord. Would you do such things in us? Thank you for your patience with us, the changes that you continually produce, the awareness that you give because of your Holy Spirit. All this is from you. Why do we get to receive this? Thank you. It's to share it with others. Forgive us for places where we've been ashamed or we've been timid or we felt like, who am I to say? I'm inconsistent. We are. Lord, let it be. When we think of this community where you've placed us, how many people need this gospel of grace? The, the freedom to walk in this, Lord, it's everywhere around us. Let it be, Lord. Do it more and more. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.